0: Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us.
1: Be ready. It's easy, what you mean?
0: Because I kind of had it going.
1: Give me a chance to be great, I want to be great.
0: Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice. I'm not that excited because we got more to do so Welcome to the Wolves Watch I am Dan Radke and I'm joined as I always am by Ricky Jim Bruno Rick how are you this evening
1: dude I'm I'm just over here cackling at how smart we were to change the podcast from the tough watch to the Wolves Watch when essentially we're still just doing the tough watch here
0: (laughs) it was it was kismet uh this is it is the 8th of november the league is off it is election day there are no games going on tonight and we had to hop on
1: i have nothing that is not snarky to say about that yeah that's why we're gonna stay away from the election talk (laughs) we have not
0: if if you have nothing good to say don't say anything at all or if you don't have anything nice to say um we needed to have this podcast. We were planning. It's so interesting. We were planning on having this podcast. I was in the twin cities over the weekend, Rick and I got to go to the target center together for the first time this season, got to catch a game on Friday against Milwaukee. And we were planning on, you know, it was a three game and four day stretch for the wolves. And it was kind of the perfect breaking point. Rick was going to the game last night against the Knicks. So we said, perfect. Let's just talk on Tuesday night. We'll cover what the, what the last stretch of games has looked like. And the timing couldn't be better. Last night was a fucking disaster of a game. Uh, It was a home loss to the Knicks that you were in the building for. And Rick, because you were in the building for it, you and I have not talked about this game. Um, I promptly went to bed after this game was over (laughs) and you were fighting traffic to escape the target center. I want to know, what did last night look like? Because last night was, for listeners of this podcast, I talked uh, openly about I'm willing to deal with losing. I've been a lifetime Timberwolves fan. That I can accept. Effort-based losses where we just don't show up, which happened against San Antonio two weeks ago, is the one thing I do not tolerate, and that makes my blood absolutely boil. Last night felt identical to that experience two weeks ago against the Spurs. So what was it like to be in the building last night?
1: Well, it was worse because now we we have the history of how the team has played you know, since that Spurs game because that Spurs game was really, you know, the the first few games that they played, there were definitely hints that this was to come. But they didn't just outright, you know, go out and lay an egg the way they did in that first Spurs game. So there there was a good deal of shock in that first Spurs game. The vibes were terrible in the building, but it was kind of, you know, honestly a run of the mill uh it was either a Sunday or Monday night game against a very bad team. So it's like, it's just kind of in it, those games historically are just inherently low energy from like a fan standpoint, um, low stakes. And you do expect that the the players to, you know, kind of feed off of that uh, apathy in a, in, in kind of perform as such. But there was in that game, it was more uh, from the players, like a, sh- you know, like a visible shock of like, I can't believe that we're doing this. Like, I can't believe this is happening to us. And in this game um, it was a lot of surrender uh, in terms of the body language of the players with, of course, the exception of, you know, they in in desperation went to Austin rivers and Bryn Forbes, Austin rivers in particular, obviously I think, you know, beyond the fact that it's just like his play style, he was definitely demonstrably, you know, trying to, show the the work, you know, in a sense to his teammates. Um and so he was really the only one everybody else had a lot of quit in them. And the main difference here Dan between those two games was like I said the you know, now we have 10 games into the season. This is the identity of the team. What they did last night against the Knicks is currently the identity of the team. So the arena was primed for such an outcome and they reacted uh, with vitriol, um, you know, we sit behind the Timberwolves bench uh, that they, no one was spared in terms of the fans. Uh, it was a quiet crowd. So the only thing you could really hear in the arena, uh, other than just the in arena music and sounds um, was the people heckling their own team. And uh, something that sticks out to me was that the the tail end of the game, the Wolves called a timeout. They're walking toward the bench. At this point, you know, it was not a sellout game. But at this point, you know, like half to two-thirds of the fans of that not sellout game had already left. So it was very quiet in there. Um, yeah. And someone walked up in my section, as basically as close as you could get to the bench, uh, without... Uh, having any problems with security and uh, yelled at Carl, you know, same old wolves, Carl, same old wolves. And uh, turned around and walked away. But there, were, that was, you know, that was not a one-off. There was stuff like that that happened throughout the game. But I think that was basically the sentiment there was, um, you know, uh, we, we changed all of these things about the team um, but at the core of it, we are we are who we have been, and uh, the fans don't really uh, believe in the foundation there. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad that you you gave that insight because I could obviously watching on TV like you could tell that early in that game, you know not a sellout, but pretty healthy crowd like there's lower a nice
1: crowd for a Monday
0: for yeah sure. lower, lower bowls full there's some upper deck seats that are taken up. I mean pretty good crowd uh, it' thinned throughout that second half obviously and uh culminating in what looks like complete emptiness by the last 90 seconds of that game people had completely vacated oh, yeah. the target center and you mentioned the same old wolves and we've you and I obviously taken a lot of NBA content and uh the people that have discussed this team and again it's it's kind of the the classic idiom that's used in, in kind of a spineless way to not have to like actually say and make any real points that you can't hedge off of which is well it's early you got to give them time sample size is too small at this point in the season we're 11 games in now after that Knicks game and the same old wolves thing because i've heard this a bunch is like well the wolves started four nine last year and it's like yeah you're right and there was a lot of new you know roster shakeups going into that season as well but this season was vastly different vastly different it is not the same thing. You cannot compare those two starts to, starts to those seasons um, like they're apples to apples. And this team had very high expectations. And the thing that I would say about this team watching them is there is absolutely zero heart on this team. Um, they roll over so fast in games. And in games like this Knicks game and that Spurs game that we referenced earlier, they didn't need to roll over. They just didn't show up to play. They just didn't show up to play last night. I was texting you in the first quarter of that game about Anthony Edwards. And I was like, this is one of those nights. He just so obviously did not show up to the arena to play basketball tonight. And I can't explain why that is. And it's not, that is not unique to Anthony Edwards. Everybody that played last night outside of the couple that you mentioned that got, you know, bench minutes universally, everybody played like shit. And it was effort. It was pure effort all the way through and I want to get into pieces of this, like not so much that game, but just tendencies that we're seeing from this team so far this season. But it boils down to one thing, man. If this is going to be the effort that they give, you know, them being a 5-6 and six team, that's just going to extrapolate over 82 games. They're going to be fighting for a play-in spot. They're going to be right around 500 because that's as good as you can be if this is the effort that you're going to give night in and night out.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've obviously seen – much worse Timberwolves teams, you know, uh, because the talent level wasn't. Exactly. You know, like there's a lot of seasons where if we were hovering toward around 500 at this point of the year, the vast majority of Timberwolves seasons that have taken place, you'd say it's a pretty positive start. Um, It's. With with them, there's a couple things that I think really stuck out when we talk about the heart of the team, the soul of the team. In the last two games that I think are telling. Uh, during that Houston game this it, I was a little off-put to be honest by how much they seem to enjoy that type of game uh, that oh they love that yep, shit yep. the type of game where they by you know by roster construction not by their own doing by roster construction they're the bully um, in that game and I, I thought I thought their body language was such that they liked that shit too much. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's it's kind of like, you know, somebody, if you're playing a video game or something, you know, would you rather play it on, if you're playing NBA 2K, just like you want to be the type of person that plays on rookie and beats the computer by 200 points, or do you want to challenge yourself and, play at a harder level, a level that's challenging to you and see if you can win, you know, doing that. And from the Wolves I saw too much of um you know, this is this is what's fun to us is is being so having such a a huge margin of error, being so much more gifted than the other team. And it was a it was a real contrast to to you know, you could you could flip this back and be like, well, you know, Dan, you and I were in the arena for the Milwaukee game. They sure seemed to enjoy beating the Timberwolves. They did, but what they did was they they out executed the Timberwolves to a point of pride, which was this is why we are that that is why we were mm-hmm. beating you, is because we're making the right pass at the right time. Um we are Setting solid screens, we're getting offensive rebounds, we're hitting the floor. You guys can't stay in front of our star player. Um, you know, that is how you beat a team that is good and take their soul out with the Wolves, you know, it's too much. It was a lot of bullshit, frankly, in that Houston game. Lots of the type of passes you can't make in a real game, uh, the types of shots you can't take in a real game. And to me, that's just some loser shit. I, I can't. I can't get with that. I'm happily, you know, go into a restaurant analogy on that. If you, if you're interested in it, but it's just, it's the sort of thing where it it doesn't impress me. And, um, I don't, I don't, I thought it really, it, it was, it was, uh, ominous to me, uh, stretches of that game when they were up big, the, the attitude that they were displaying.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you and I have talked about this a lot with Wolves teams, especially in the Carl anthony Towns era, where he loves nothing more than bullying a player that is so inferior to him. But if he plays any like man-level center, big-bodied, veteran, man-frame center... He just gets complete.
1: You're Isaiah Hartenstein's of the world.
0: Yeah, he just, he wilts. Like, they just, they bully him constantly. And again, it's been that way his entire career. Like, the tail end of Steven Adams' career here, where he's more or less relegated to a bench role and gets played off the court a lot of times, he dominates Carl Anthony Towns. You know what I mean? Like, there's just guys that historically have always given him a lot of trouble because they play physically, and we do not.
1: Um, yeah, and I think, Dan, it's, it's to me, it's even less about... um the outcome which is you know the result is that yes carlos gets dominated by physical centers and it's more just about um not relishing in the challenge of facing a physical center that is that is troubling to me um that that is the that's the part of it it's that lack of competitive drive that is that's tough and we we've, we've you know one of the reasons why and I guess we could talk about at some point, whether we still believe in this particular team. Um, One of the reasons that we talked about in these preseasons pods about why we believe in the team is we, we thought that Tim Conley had constructed the roster to try to win in spite of cats deficiencies, you know, in bringing in Rudy Gobert and kind of stealthily making the team about something else while still placating Carl and, you know, getting the honestly the benefits of Carl, I mean, we're sitting here shitting on the guy a little bit. He's been by far the best player on the team this season no uh, question and so but what the what's at the core of the issue here is not um is not you know the a lot of the performances he's had it's it's the tone that gets set on a team where he is the best player. that's really what's at issue, here. no it's question. Not, It's not about whether he can um, contribute to winning basketball. He obviously can. And um, whether that's going to happen with the Wolves or some other team in his career where he is appropriately slotted, um, like how Kevin Love was appropriately slotted when he went to Cleveland, there's no doubt he could contribute. It's just that we've already seen in the six years previous to this, we've already seen how far you can go with him as your the center of your universe. And so the hope going into the season was Anthony Edwards is getting ready to to take that mantle anyway. Uh Rudy Gobert is a winner and is, is 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 has just spent the last 10 seasons as a franchise guy. You know, we can stealthily take this responsibility away from Cat and unfortunately thus far um we are displaying the same level of competitiveness and want to as we did um in what to me was the absolute nadir of the franchise which was the Cat Dilo era with Ryan Saunders. Yeah.
0: I I want to pick up on something you just brought up because I think it's it's important context to offer when you and I have discussions because sometimes we just go off on tangents and we don't we don't make finer points like the one you just made which is the criticism of Carl Anthony Towns is not to um, completely ignore how positively he impacts the team in certain ways, the things that he is very good at. Um, last night, he shot the ball incredibly well. He was extremely efficient offensively. But Carl Anthony Towns last night in that game, it was a, it was really a perfect encapsulation of the experience of being a fan of his for all these years, which is, so, Carl Anthony Towns at one point in that game was eight for 10 from the floor. He was leading the team in scoring. He had just knocked down a three. And in that same game, he was there was an out of bounds play. Um, the Knicks had the ball under their own basket. And they got a layup where all they did was basically deliver a bounce pass to a guy cutting to the rim. And it was right behind the back of Carl Anthony Towns who had so little awareness of where he stood on the court or so little care for where he was and what his responsibility was that we just gave away two points on a play that is inexcusable at the NBA level should never happen. They didn't run action to create that. They didn't pin down cat and prevent him from getting across the paint. It just happened because we're so apathetic at times in games and I was trying to work through my feelings after last night's game, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, so I'll lay it on you. I was thinking of it where I'm like, when I talk to my wife or I talk to my son about this team, and they they obviously watch a lot of these games with me, I'm so insanely negative that you would think that 80 to 90 percent of the game is just horrific performance by the team. And it's not it's not that 80 to 90 percent of it is bad. What it is is when we are bad like whether it be a defensive possession where we have guys that just for whatever reason, completely decide that possession that we're not going to play hard or offensive possessions where we completely don't value the possession, don't value the basketball, either turn it over or take a bad shot. Those things we do so consistently, it makes up about 20 to 30% on, depending on the night of our, of our play That as a fan, you look at that and go, well, the only teams you can beat, if that big a portion of your night is going to be spent just fucking around, basically, the only teams you can beat are like Houston when you did on Saturday. There's almost no other types of teams that you can win playing that badly, that consistently. And last night was a prime example of this. There were possessions where, for whatever reason, Anthony Edwards just decided, I'm not going to contest this open shot. I'm right there. I'm just not even going to jump at the guy. I'm going to let him take an open shot. Or the Carl Anthony Towns play I mentioned. Or not boxing out and allowing a second possession. Or not getting back out to the corner or hustling to keep a guy in front of you. There's just so many examples of this that go throughout a game that you find yourself saying, okay, well, it's not one player. It's not one thing. It's everything and everybody a lot of times because it it seems to pass itself between guys possession to possession. And I don't know if that is just, you know, you mentioned with Cap being kind of a fulcrum of your team, if it's a personality that bleeds through, if it's a frustration that connects to other guys, if there's something that Finch is doing or not doing, what is leading to this? But it's everybody. I thought Torian Prince last night, who apparently by all accounts yeah. has been a really vocal veteran leader. I thought he was shitty last night too. He did the same types of garbage that everybody else does. Oh yeah. So it's just getting to a point to your original thought, which is like, well, where do you go with a team like this? If this is going to be your identity as a team, you have no ceiling. Like you are going to, you're going to throw away a season and I don't know how you fix it. it. It's just touched everybody.
1: Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of where I want to go with that. I think the most obvious answer to what could change here is that, you know, as Rudy becomes more comfortable uh, just just being here and being a member of the team, his his influence uh, becomes the dominant one. And I think that that is something that we all hope happens sooner than later, because he is. A, this is the thing. It's, it's all these things that were are plaguing our cornerstone players in this team. Are the, are the reason why Rudy Gobert gets paid what he gets paid and the reason why he has the accolades that he has. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, uh, to put generously has hands of stone and to put generously can't shoot. You know, like this is a guy that has made himself into a $50 million a year player right. by being a basically uh, the best possible role player you could be. And so... You hope that he becomes the dominant voice, the dominant tone with the team, um, but it's a lot to ask of a guy. It's not even a lot to ask it's it's I think we have to ask it, and the team is asking. Um, it's more uh, how realistic is it for that to happen in a short order, you know, with a guy that is the outsider, the new guy? You know, at this point it's still very much feels like it's the Wolves and Rudy um, to no fault of his. Uh, it's just, that's just what happens when you make a big acquisition and you know, what we were saying in the preseason pods that has unfortunately proved itself to be false is we talked about him, Kyle, and then to a lesser extent, Austin rivers and Bryn Forbes coming here and we're not needing them to import their culture. Well, that has just turned out to be flat wrong. Um, we do need them to import the culture. And um, yep. unless you want to talk about more about, Dan, how Rudy could take that mantle, I, there's something else about this Knicks game and the way we carried it that, that made my blood boil, um, and it, it kind of relates.
0: Okay, let's get to that in two seconds. The only thing that I want to get to before we sneak off this topic is you and I have always found it to be the height of hubris when front offices believe that they can draft culture out of a 19 or 20 year old, where they go, This is a culture guy. The Timberwolves yeah. have now several times import or attempted to import culture. And the only consistent figures on this team have been D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, we imported culture with Jimmy Butler, and I know that wasn't a Delo era, but that was a Cat era. Uh, we imported it last year with Patrick Beverly, and you know what we're saying now is, God, I hope we, I hope we imported it with Rudy Gobert, or you know, and Kyle Anderson, or whoever.
1: That's right, because Dan, the idea that, and I want to clarify this for anyone listening, the idea was that they absorbed the lessons from those guys and were ready to make that the culture of the team and so yes, that, that they've culture learned is bigger now. than having patrick beverly here uh because it's now our culture um which to this point is not true
0: nope um and i just wanted to make that clear is there's a reason that the, the title of this episode mentions d'angelo russell and carl anthony Towns trades? it's because you and i both believe that culturally speaking if these two are major cogs in the wheel of your team you are going nowhere That is just the reality.
1: We know that. that. I mean, that's not even in debate. I mean, that's the the whole idea of this team is that they are two of four. Like, that's the whole idea. Correct. Anyway. So this relates to that and importing the culture is it's, you know, I've been in the building for a Miami game with Jimmy Butler. I've now been in the building for a Tom Thibodeau game. And this relates, it's honestly, it's the same type of loser shit. Um, that I was talking about with the Houston game, which is the way that Timberwolves fans, to a lesser extent Timberwolves media, but some a li- there's a touch of that there because it all trickles down from there, misread the Tibbs and Jimmy situation. I feel like people think that last year validated Cat in this eternal struggle yeah. he's been having to shed the baggage of that era. And no, 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 oh, Au contraire. What Tibbs and Jimmy did is they correctly identified the problems that were fundamental in Cat and Andrew Wiggins. And where they failed and where Chris Finch and Patrick Beverly succeeded was how do we fix that? So Tibbs and Jimmy Butler deserve a lot of blame, all the blame for, for not taking the correct tact to fix that, but they were 100% on the money in their diagnosis of the problems of the team. And you know, it's something that can be fixed because obviously Andrew Wiggins has gone on to a different culture, a different place is the exact same fucking player. He's the same player um, as he was before, but the tweaks he has made to his approach and the ways he impacts the game has taken a guy that was not impactful to winning and made him a super impactful winning player. Right. Um, so anyway, just the way in which Tibbs is getting booed Tibbs gets treated like some pariah, you know, what Tibbs did was he put a shine to light on, what was there and people didn't like that people didn't like that he was mean about how he went about trying to fix it. And I think he deserves criticism. Like I said, because he did not, he, he has one way to try to fix a situation and that was not the way that this one was going to get fixed, but nothing that has happened since he left. And since Jimmy Butler has left, that changes the narrative about what they believed when they were here. So that is was very unbecoming of Timberwolves fans in the arena to be heckling Tibbs and booing Tibbs as if we, you know, we were right, you know, and we, we had it all along and it was Tibbs that was fucking shit up. No, 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 no. Like Tibbs, he understood what the problems were. He didn't have the tools or he didn't want to use the tools at his disposal to fix it. He was right. Jimmy was right.
0: Well, and let's be honest about this. You and I are born and raised in Minnesota, and have been fans of this team since we can remember. Here's what he did. He committed the cardinal sin, which is he was rude he was he lacked politeness, and he was an outsider that made it abundantly clear that he was not going to be chummy with the infrastructure, like whether yep. that
1: and he needed to do those things he deserves criticism for not having the emotional intelligence to know how important it is to do those things well-deserved criticism.
0: Yeah, of course. But my whole point,
1: and again, this goes to
0: basically the entirety of Glenn Taylor's ownership reign in Minnesota is everybody in the league would have told you this is who the guy was. Like, So it's not as though this is somehow a uniquely Minnesota thing. It's just if you bring him in, you take it all in. Like you deal with the good and the bad. You know who you're bringing in to do the job. Um, I agree with you in the way that fans and media to a lesser extent have have decided to remember that era of Timberwolves basketball, which was the least joyous viewing experience that you and I had. Um, I will say this as well. And again, this we're we're bouncing around, but it's because there is just a lot of individual tiny little things you know to bring up as part of this broader conversation. Last night, Anthony Edwards did some of the most most cat shit ever post game, which yeah, he brings up. Yeah, we're playing soft, like, and basically, and he, and it, to give him credit, this in in cat fashion, he says I'm part of the problem too. But it's infuriating to listen to that kind of shit because it's like, yeah, man, I know I watched the whole game. You know what you have control over? You don't have the control of four other guys that share the floor with you at any given time. You have control over your own effort and output. And it was dog shit all night. It's like, what are you talking about? We were soft. We were getting pushed around. Yeah, that was you, bro. And at any point, you could have decided to fucking change that. And you decided not to. Now.
1: Well, and I'll tell you why, Dan, and because I in you know, I deal with this a lot in my line of work, um because it's a similar success is similarly unglamorous. The process of getting to success is is similarly sure. unglamorous. It's not fun. That's why this is why people don't this is why when they talk about, "Oh, we all know what we got to do and we just got to do it." The reason why these players don't do it is because that shit is not fun. And it's yeah the ones that are really great understand that in order to win at the highest level, we all have to do those things that are not fun, and even if we do all of those things that are not fun, all we are doing is giving ourselves a chance yeah that's it it doesn't
0: guarantee success that's yep. it
1: and so the fact that and this is this is one of the reasons why dan you know uh, it's a broader point about you know. Taking chances in life and and putting in the work blah 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 it's because it's not a guarantee you know if you could if you could guarantee to an nBA player that if you got on the floor and got a bunch of fucking scrapes and bruises and all this shit that sucks if you could guarantee them the outcome, then everybody would do it. The reason why yep. we laud heart and we talk about it in these kind of ephemeral or in these like ethereal terms is because there is no guarantee all you're doing is giving yourself a chance and um so to me and that gets back to the point i was talking about earlier with the houston game which is they showed what it is that brings them joy and that is something that when you want to get to the heart of why Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt are more impactful than their basketball skills. It's because they enjoy and they relish in doing the shit that other guys will not do. And this is why the best, the very best players in the league. Yes. It's a combination of that skill and then also doing all of that shit too. Um, There's no path to success. There's nowhere on the flow chart where you can shortcut something and end up great. It's not possible. And and I understand a lot of this. Like, the thing with Anthony Edwards is it's very different than him and Cat and D'Lo. The dude is 21 years old. And to this point in his life, there have been a lot of places on the flow chart where I can shortcut and end up winning. There's a fucking been a million paths. In his entire life. And part of becoming a professional and part of becoming great at your craft, whatever it is you're doing, is realizing that the margin for error just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller the higher up you climb. And so the only way you can give yourself a chance to succeed at the highest level in whatever it is you're doing in your life is to leave no stone unturned and to do everything that you could possibly do in order to put yourself in a position to succeed. And again, all of this stuff, and this is why people hate this advice. People will ask me a lot uh, in, in my career about like, you know, what, like how did you do this or how do you get to that? And people are always disappointed in the answer because the answer is what everybody is born knowing. It's that, you have to do everything that it takes to try to be successful. And the only thing that that promises you is you have a chance. And that's not a good enough answer for a lot of people, which is why, you know, we find ourselves in this situation with the Wolves. To to piggyback on that point, Rick, and it's it's much broader than basketball, but
0: basketball is such a cutthroat sports, is such a cutthroat industry because everybody knows who wins and loses there is a there is a result yeah there's a scoreboard. every time and the thing that the wolves don't do well to your point about the career advice that you've given others and to your point about the guys that have been lauded by timberwolves fans namely patrick beverly and jared vanderbilt you have to take an insane amount of pride and you have to become almost obsessive about doing the tiniest thing And doing it as well as you possibly can all the time. It doesn't stop. It doesn't rest. And it's all-encompassing. It's everything. And that is part of, there's this, you know, you and I always use the phrase, and it's not, obviously, it's not coined by us. Everybody in sports uses this. You got to lock in. You got to stay locked in. What that means is every moment that you're on the court, on the field, whatever, you are intensely focused on what you have to do in that very moment what is my responsibility in this moment what is the best possible choice that I can make and the Timberwolves are a test case of people who do not do not have that level of focus really at any point in a basketball game outside of these these little two three minute stretches at a time and you can see it because at this high a level, and this is, this is what's fascinating and why you and I love sports so much, especially pro sports, is you mentioned how narrow everything is. Only 450 guys sit on NBA benches. Okay, that's it. And of those 450, there's probably 250 that actually play. And of those 250, I can tell you, those are the best players that play this sport in the entire world. You and I joked during the game against Milwaukee, that Nathan Knight, who barely touches the floor for the Minnesota Timberwolves, would be a fucking MVP-level stud if he played in some of these European leagues or these, these overseas leagues. The talent is so high, and everybody does everything so well that the separator most times comes in, who's actually focused enough to do this tiny little part best? So, I mean, who is not fucking up this defensive rotation? Who understands that they got their defender leaning and is going to get the first step on a drive and is going to be able to find the open shooter? Like, all of these things are happening, and they're happening very quickly. The Timberwolves, very fast. And last night's game against very uh, against fast. the Knicks, to give the Knicks a lot of credit, and again, they shot the fuck out of the ball, which is, I mean, it, w- it was the perfect night for the Knicks, honestly. But the Timberwolves contributed to that. And I will say, yep. the Knicks were phenomenal at that, all night long, all night long. They were great at that. And that's not a great basketball team. The Knicks are not a great basketball team. They had their own warts and their own issues. But I can tell you that at no point during that game did I think that their effort waned or that their guys weren't locked in. The mistakes that were made were largely they were giving effort and they just fucked up like a push in the back on a rebound from Julius Randle. You know, uh, an out-of-bounds from, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein as he's trying to get a rebound that he should have grabbed inbounds. That shit happens. But the effort level between these two teams was so vastly different. And that's kind of what I wanted to get to when we talk about the two guys we're going to be mentioning for trade candidates is, like, Anthony Edwards' quote after the game about being soft. I don't know what changes things for this team collectively, But to your point about the way the fans are treating this team in the building, the way that the reporters that cover the team are treating them in their articles and in these interviews, they understand what's going on. It just doesn't feel like anybody is pissed off to the point of improvement. They're just pissed off they're being a part of losing. But they're not pissed off like we should be better than this. I demand that we improve. They're just frustrated that they have to deal with losing, which is not the same thing.
1: Well, and it's a very difficult, the Carl situation is very difficult when you're on the team with him because in spite of everything that he would frustrate you uh, with, he's better than you. You know, that's, that is at the real, the crux of the issue here is, sure, Torian Prince can be the leader of the team, call out guys and film study Um, say we need to do this we need to do that well cat doesn't do that shit and he's a a million times better than torian prince you know what i mean so that's that's the problem and that's where we when they talk about it needs to be your best player that sets the tone that that's pretty much why is (laughs) is because um you the the other guys need to see that oh well shit this guy's so much better than me and he does everything that the coach is riding me about. I, that's what, I guess that's what we do. Like, there's just, I mean, there's, it's really black and white. Um, and to take it back, I keep taking it back to this Houston game. Cause I think it was so revealing um, in how, and why we are the team has so been so bad at handling pressure and adversity is, and I say this, this is again, something I, talk about with the guys all the time is what you do when you are most comfortable is what you will do in a stressful situation you will default to whatever you do when you are most comfortable so when you see the wolves at their most comfortable doing a bunch of bullshit what do you think they're going to do when stuff gets tough you know what i mean like if in the most ideal of situations what you did was some bullshit. What, what would make you believe then that when shit gets hard, that you are all of a sudden going to do what you need to do? And it's not it's not the same thing. But what is the same about my craft and what they do is, and this is what I tell the guys, and I've been this is one of my the things, one of my main talking points, and the thing I talk about the most is, for me. I do everything the same no matter what. It does not matter what the situation is. I do it the exact same because I know there will come times when my uh, my head is not there. It's a difficult situation. It's stressful. Things have gone wrong. Well, guess what? My body, my muscle memory only knows how to do one thing. And it's the way that I do it all the fucking time. So what you do in the easiest, chillest moment, you're just showing to the world what you will do when things get difficult. And so, and this is where, when we talk about the little things and the habits and why it's important, the reason why it's important is because we've all played sports and to a different degree we in our work lives, we've been under pressure and in difficult situations and you know that in those difficult situations you are not working with all of your facilities you know it's that feeling of anxiety um it's the pressure you feel it's a physical feeling and everybody that is listening to this knows what that feels like and knows that it, when you feel like that you are not going to perform your best and so the reason why Doing the right stuff and having those habits and honing them and doing them in the easiest moments is because you're giving yourself no margin. you give yourself no wiggle room. the worst situation comes you're you're on tilt, you're out of your mind, you're freaking out. you only know how to you only then know how to do it one way, which is the correct way and this and so often with this Timberwolves team and the, the players, the leadership on their team is they show you exactly who they are in the easiest moments, which is a bunch of clowns. And we saw, you know, what was pretty fucking easy was the Milwaukee bucks beating the Timberwolves. And what we saw in their easiest moments was a team that relished in executing and in doing the right things and being on the right spots on the floor, which is why I feel pretty fucking good. If I was a fan of the bucks, that when stuff got tough I'd feel pretty good that that's what they were going to do in that situation
0: they never I couldn't agree with you more they never stopped executing they never ever stopped executing in that entire game and i want to i want to steer this a little bit because i think it's informative to now bring d'angelo russell into this conversation who has been absolutely pitiful this season and you and I talked off off air about this and we were trying to this was prior to last night's game. We were kind of toying around with the idea of like, okay, well, what is D'Angelo Russell's market? You know, if we wanted him out of Minnesota and as fans, we obviously do, what is there, you know, to do with D'Angelo Russell, if anything. And we both agreed that, you know, with the roster construction, there's there's a few variables at play, but starting him is really the only way to go because you can't sabotage his value by benching him. Even when he plays bad, you can make the argument that he's still a better option. I believe he is a better option than anything else you have to start at the point guard position. And you have to pray to God that he starts shooting himself out of the slump that he's in because right now he his value will not be lower than it is today. He has been so bad in this last week of games, and it's been all season. He hasn't been great all season, but this last week of games in particular has been so atrocious that you realize, because this was something that I've talked about and and you and I have talked about on the Tough Watch podcast when we covered the Timberwolves, where we would talk about D'Angelo Russell has always been a bad defensive player, right? But there was a debate amongst media members who covered the team for a while where it's like, well is it as bad as it looks or does he just have a, you know, a quote unquote bad poker face? You know what I mean? His body language and just his movements and his pace and all that kind of stuff is that what leads you to believe he's worse than he is. The reality is he's a terrible defensive player. It becomes all the more awful to watch when he is shooting four of 15 from the floor as he did against Milwaukee, four of 12 from the floor as he did last night against the Knicks. And when his shot is falling at that low clip, There's almost nothing left to do with D'Angelo Russell besides sit him in these games. Because it's now, again, I want to go back to something I mentioned at the start of the episode. You can lean as much as you want. And I hope that I'm proven wrong. And in two weeks we're recording and I have to eat a bunch of fucking crow on this. But you can you can you can stay in that comfort zone of being like, it's a small sample size. You have to let this season play out. You have to let everybody get comfortable. I don't really give a fuck at this point. D'Angelo Russell is who he is for the most part, this is obviously below his career averages, but he's not an efficient offensive player. And when that lack of efficiency dips and he goes through a slump, it's not a normal slump that players go through. His slump is he's unable to score the basketball, which is his only skill. It's really his only like above league average level skill at this point. Um, And he has been, Between him and Jaden McDaniels, I don't know who to give the least valuable player of the year award to at this point, but it's one of those two guys. They've been awful.
1: Yeah. Somehow Jaden McDaniels is avoiding a lot of culpability here, not from Chris Finch. Uh, He was starting to bench him, but, and I think he will, I will not be surprised at all. Uh, Rudy is going to play tomorrow. Uh, I will not be surprised at all. If Kyle Anderson is starting at the three tomorrow, that's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, well, so I'm going to push back on just one point about D'Lo, Dan, which is I think his, his trade value is, is, is calcified. I think it's, it is what it is, which is that nobody is interested in acquiring D'Angelo Russell, the player. They're interested in acquiring D'Angelo Russell's contract um, with $30 million expiring this year. And perhaps even yeah. you know the type of team that um, you know, would like to see themselves get worse you know, and and think they could do it by chipping off. Because obviously, you know, if we're going to trade, trade a guy with with the situation that the Timberwolves are in, we're trading for present value. You know what I mean? And so obviously the team that is to acquire D'Angelo Russell is, a, is assuming they're going to get worse when they make that trade. And that's uh, a benefit to them, is that they're damaging their team right now. So I think... The place to look, and if you're interested Dan in dipping into these I, I've got the proposals um, please the only this this and this is how I think most people should think about when they're like trying to because everyone loves working the trade machine it's very fun um, when they're concocting the trades is the only thing that matters is understanding the motives of the other teams and what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish and so uh, when you're trying to find a team that would be interested in D'Angelo Russell uh, you need to find teams that have, that would prefer to um, see some longer term contracts on their team expire. And if they could, they would, they would flip that for an expiring contract. So that in and of itself, because D'Angelo Russell makes $30 million narrows the field almost, almost entirely because how many teams that, desire to be good have 30 million dollars worth of salary that they're okay just letting go you know it's not many so
0: and that fits with what the Timberwolves would need in return well then
1: well that's the next part of it which makes the circle even smaller so when you're looking for a targeted team it's very cut and dry you need a team that is future focused that would prefer to cut salary next season. That's it. Those are the only, that's the only type of team that is interested in D'Angelo Russell. And then to Dan's point, yes, then they need that, those contracts that they want to get rid of the Timberwolves need to deem that better than D'Lo. And one of the things that the Wolves have going for them as it pertains to trading D'Angelo Russell is they are actually not interested in letting his salary expire because they're so far over the cap and they will be for the foreseeable future that they need that salary slot Um, for people that are not as inundated with with the CBA. They they will have no ability to replace that $30 million in salary if we simply let D'Angelo Russell go in free agency because we have no cap space. Now, if we extend D'Angelo Russell or trade him for other contracts that go beyond this year. Obviously the main hope is that the player that you've acquired will help the team more than D'Angelo Russell this year, but more, but equally importantly, perhaps is that you still have that salary down the road to make a trade if you'd so desire. So having said all of that, Dan, and we talked a little bit about some of these when you were here, of course, not in the air. Are you interested in, Um, hearing the the three trades that I have for D'Lo because they all have the exact same motives. Yeah,
0: no, I am. And uh, I want to mention something real quick before you get into those. The reason that the circle narrows so much, so before the season, just to give anybody who's listening to this episode specifically a little bit of context, if you've never heard us talk about this guy before, before the season, there was a discussion that Rick and I had about, well, maybe we get the extension done if the terms are relatively favorable to the Timberwolves and by relatively favorable it was like could you get him on like a you know we talked like a 4 for 80 or something like that where you're paying him like 20 mil a year and i mentioned before the season that and and you agreed but it was like no nah, at this point he's going to have to play himself into that extension like he's he's going to have to do something on the court to justify you know the Timberwolves extending him so at this point i just absolutely fucking not i i want no part of an of a d'angelo russell extension um the number to me doesn't even really matter i have gotten to a point with him and and there's other guys on this roster that that fall into this category too i believe him to be a losing basketball player so as a fan of a team that i believe wants to win in the coming seasons i just have no fucking interest in it none it's it's i'm yeah. just out i'm out
1: not at this point, and that's the thing: is could could we perhaps have interest in circling the wagon on D'Lo four years from now, when he's been adequately, you know, when he's become Austin Rivers? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, of course. Oh, sure. Perhaps so, sure, sure, sure. You don't sure. want him now, and that's the point. No. Um, yep. Absolutely. All right. So there's right. three teams, Dan. They all yep. have the same motive, which is, like I said before they would like to turn a two or three year contract into a one year contract to save them money next season. Yep. And ideally they would weaken their team for this current season. Okay. So the first trade, this one was first floated by Ben McMahon last week. It's a no brainer if the wolves could actually do it, but i and, and that's to Utah for Mike Conley and Rudy Gay. And let me quickly say why Utah may be interested in doing this deal which is despite their really great and fun start that, you know, they're, they're no fools. They understand what the goals of the organization are. They would like to see uh, their team have a chance to get Victor Wembanyama, and ideally multiple chances over the next couple of years to do such a thing. This team paid through the teeth and salary the last couple of years by having um, Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy and Donovan Mitchell on it it's a small market they'd like to save money Mike Conley has a small amount of money guaranteed next year same with Rudy Gay but they don't have no money guaranteed which is what D'Angelo Russell does so I think this is actually for them it's a fantastic deal they achieve everything they want to achieve um, you know frankly I mean they save that, that's a lot of savings I mean this is the type of money savings that if you were to do it in the summer, it's the dynamics of deals are a little different in season, but if you were to do it during the summer, we we may be talking about the jazz needing to compensate the Timberwolves with draft picks to take on that money Um, where the wolves are at right now. They don't perhaps they could posture that in a trade negotiation. They're not going to, they're not going to win that point in the trade negotiation, but the point is for the wolves, they could, Get a guy that is very familiar with um, with Rudy Gobert's play style. And it's just, frankly, a much better player than D'Angelo Russell, even at this diminished, older stage of his career. And uh, more importantly, perhaps to the long term of the team is you've split a $30 million contract into two. And uh, that gives you more options in terms of the trades going forward. I'll be curious to see if you can beat
0: this trade. You know, you're basically selling these trades to me. That's how this exercise is working. Um,
1: I'll
0: be curious to see if you can beat it. I, I love this trade. I uh, loved it the second that I heard it on Zach Lowe's podcast. Absolutely became obsessed with the idea of it. It uh, it does a couple of things for the Wolves. The first I want to mention is, I just said I believe D'Angelo Russell is a losing player. You cannot argue, regardless of the stage of career, that Mike Conley is not a winning player. The dude has played on a bunch absolutely. of winning basketball teams. So,
1: he's absolutely winning.
0: So it solves that. The second thing, it's a position-for-position position trade, which the Wolves actually do weirdly need. Um, you bring in Mike Conley. He fills yep. the exact role that D'Angelo Russell is playing. He is less needy when it comes to scoring the basketball. He's a good distributor. He seems very self-aware at the stage of his career that he's in, which is a much better, better catch-and-shoot shoot player. It's an excellent opportunity for the Wolves to replace the slot. And obviously reunite Mike Conley with Rudy Gobert, which is excellent with the Utah connections. And one thing that I want to mention that Rick didn't about the Utah jazz, it's not brand new ownership. I mean, this isn't their first season, but it is relatively new ownership. And that new ownership group led by Ryan Smith, they have every desire to, to hit a home run to get buzz going with this new toy that they purchased that's exactly right and so there is no chance in my mind there is no chance that the sale of utah existing assets doesn't begin within the month of november i firmly believe that in november you will start to see at least one move take place because they're getting danger this is getting dangerously close to a point where they're just going to fuck around and win too many games and i know that sounds ridiculous when you only have eight wins on the season but I think this is a team that ideally would like to finish the season with like 21 or 22 wins. So the fact that, yeah, that's yeah, no, exactly. Happen, but... but you got <laughs> to stop yeah, for the sure. bleeding because I mean, if you don't, if you don't stop this, I mean, you might find yourself with horrific lottery
1: odds. Oh, and it's an intoxicating team the situation they're in because they have the exact type of team that anybody would love to cheer for. Um, not 100 division. That's actually what I said to Ashley about the Knicks last night. Actually, was. Um, you know, this would be a fun team to cheer for day-to-day because they don't have any star players. They have a lot of very good players. And so on any given night, one of them can go off. And if you're a fan of the team, you can be like, eh, if he just puts it together. Um, well, and they yeah, do – real,
0: real quick on the next thing, real quick. I a I completely agree with you. And they do a really smart thing. They've cut the minutes of guys that you wouldn't want to root for way down, a la Evan Fournier. And they've dramatically increased the minutes load for guys that you absolutely love, which is Isaiah Hartenstein and Isaiah or uh, Emmanuel Quickly, guys that are just like a blast to watch play. So to your point, you're right. The Knicks have actually cultivated this like fan favorite style watching. Really like yeah,
1: yeah really. they're awesome. The only thing that's bad about them is you know they have a desire for more. You know, but that's the title. That, I know. You know, anyway. So, the Utah one, I think, is a great trade, yeah, we know obviously they can execute yep. a complicated deal with the jazz because they just did it, so I think that that one actually has a reasonable <laughs> reasonable chance of of happening should the wolves decide to go down this road. um The next one it's the exact same it's a very similar franchise the Pacers in the same position that the jazz are in, same goals. Um, unlike Mike, this is one where we maybe actually would need to get compensated, um, in some way, shape or form, uh, because the two guys, the Wolves are acquiring in this trade, unlike Mike Conley and Rudy Gay have a more substantial amount of money guaranteed next season. So the Wolves really would be carrying $30 million into the next year. And this team, um, would just be letting D'Angelo Russell expire. So we are effectively saving them $30 million in money next year um, which is a lot of fucking money so um this is a trade and i intentionally did not include any picks in these trades because that is minutiae um and that that's really what the negotiations are um is about the compensation trade uh with picks uh this is indiana for buddy healed and tj mcconnell which is a pretty clean fit salary wise they add up to be about d'angelo russell's salary they both have two years left on their deal, unlike uh, D'Lo. Um, and they'd be two rotation guys that would play right away for the Wolves. Yeah, I like that trade a lot, too.
0: Uh, TJ McConnell is actually weirdly the type of point guard that would work uh, between him and, and Jordan McLaughlin and Austin Rivers. Yeah, you like, have two J. Yeah, basically, yeah, exactly. Um, which is fine. Again, we talked about this. Like That is fine. If you have two of those guys, you're okay, because the team is built really well Otherwise. So I mean you can have your point guard be the token fifth starter, basically.
1: Well, they they have to be because um barring catastrophe as in catastrophe like Jaden McDaniels is permanently in the funk that he's in right now, our starting point guard will be the lowest paid starter on the team soon. And so we better get comfortable yeah. with the Jordan yeah. McLaughlin's and the TJ McConnells of the world because that's what will be available to the team. Yeah so this I is agree. one I'd put uh, this love- in second obviously because of the um it's just a much cleaner fit getting Mike Conley than Buddy healed as the kind of headline guy but this you know if that was not available to the team for whatever reason and this was I I would also make this trade.
0: I would absolutely make this trade. Um and it also does something and and this is kind of the it, the dirty little secret of this Timberwolves team. Uh apparently we just shoot the three like shit now. Uh in perpetuity, which is rough. Um, so bringing
1: oh, Buddy healed would be an asset. I mean, yeah, obviously, Agreed. so far we're missing um Malik Beasley's role. We never we didn't actually replace the role as we talked about in the preseason pods with Jalen Noel because he's a totally different type of player. So that we still have the void for that role. He's
0: he, he's not half the shooter that Malik, Beasley well, no, of was. course not.
1: And that's all yeah. Malik Beasley does, and that is also all Buddy healed yep. does. And so, which is fine, totally which fine. Is fine. We're requiring I mean, that, him to do. this.
0: Yeah. This team needs a dead eye. All right. Yep. I like that trade a lot. Not quite as good as the Utah one, but it is, it is very doable as a fan. I would absolutely be in support of that trade.
1: All right. So this is one where the the team receiving DLO actually has no incentive to get worse, but they are, they do have an incentive. They actually are one of this. They're actually the only team in the league that I think would be interested in acquiring D'Angelo Russell, the player. Um, And the guys that we'd be getting in return (laughs) have longer money coming back so this is actually one where the wolves would definitely require some compensation um, whether it's a low level young player or some type of draft pick um, pick swap whatever um, it's 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 d going back to home to the nets for joe harris and royce o'neill so two guys that have some money left on their contracts the idea here dan from the Wolves' side is – and it's the same idea, honestly, as acquiring Mike Conley, which – and this is the, the place where Chris Finch is going to take some licks. Um, to, the identity of this team, the most obvious identity of this team, needs to be and should be what Utah did on both ends of the court. And so um, acquiring Royce O'Neal, who obviously played with the Jazz – um, but Joe Harris would have been a amazing yeah. fit on those jazz teams as well. You're acquiring the two types of guys that you know work well with Rudy Gobert, and you just you're, you're giving yourself more lineup flexibility to always have those type of lineups on the floor. And acquiring two, you know, Joe Harris fights on defense. He's not a good defender, but you're acquiring guys with size here. Um, and at this and yeah, at that for point, sure. you acquire those guys. And you already have McDaniel's and Torian Prince and Kyle Anderson. You now have five credible wing-sized players. It's it's an it's an a and the longer term of it, Dan, is instead of having to trade a thirty million dollar player, or a twenty million dollar player down the road to get a better fit, you're trying to trade a fifteen million dollar player, which is a it's, it's a much easier. It's it gives you way more options. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, you did him in the proper order. That is definitely third yeah, sure. um, in in this exercise. I would say, you know, it, here's what's funny, Rick. It, we almost need to um, hammer this point home even harder. I would even accept that third trade that you just mentioned. And crucially it's for this one reason. I believe that we have gotten to a point um, again, the sample size with D'Angelo Russell is not small in Minnesota. Um, it's a big sample size of him playing for our team. I so firmly believe at this point that we are not going to win at a high level with him on the roster, given what he, the stage of the career he's in the money he makes and what role you're going to have to give him. If he's there that at this point, it really is an an addition by subtraction already. So even if what you bring back is imperfect in fit, as long as you don't bring back what you consider to be players that show similar losing characteristics, you're still likely going to come out ahead, which is just a pathetic and sad place to exist. <laughs> okay.
1: um, yeah. but the, And these guys are definitely not that. Those two dudes, like uh, mature veteran players, you know, and we're really at that point surrounding Anthony Edwards. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of young guys on the team beyond Ant. Ant, Jaden, Nas, and Jalen Noel are all rotation guys for the team that are very young. Jordan McLaughlin is young in his NBA career. Um, although a little bit older yeah. than those guys, but still functionally a young player. We have a lot of young guys on the team and no question, uh, you know, surrounding them with more, more vets um, can only be a good thing. Yep. Nope. I completely agree. Um, Should we trade cat? Let's do it. Yep. I was yep, just going to say, thing. obviously like, you know, the one, these are, very different than the D'Angelo Russell trade for two reasons. Number one, the Wolves, and I cannot stress this enough to any fans, they are not allowed to trade Carl Anthony Towns because of the extension he just signed. It cannot happen by league rules. So these trades will not happen. And the other reason is they shouldn't trade him. <laughs> not during this season. Correct. <laughs> should not trade him during no. this season. Now, am I on board? to trade him in the summer should he not um, you know demonstrate that he could be you know a contributing member of a winner absolutely I'm in I'm in favor of that Uh, these are not I'm not in favor of dumping him like we would in these D'Angelo Russell scenarios uh, because frankly Cat has demonstrated this season you know he didn't bathe himself in glory last night but really he's had one game this year where he has let his emotions get the best of him in the rest of the season he's been on good behavior which also implies lazy behavior behavior. but it's for him it's but but what that implies no i said lazy behavior. but what that implies to me though dan is that he at least understands that it's a problem and has been working to mitigate it because if he didn't he would just keep doing that shit anyway so i say all of that to say and did you get hired by a PR firm to represent Carl Anthony? No, but here's the thing, though, no, <laughs> that was <it's>, well played. <laughs> it's in the best, it's in the best interest of the team, cat and us as fans, is if it works out here. Because in none of these trades I'm going to tell you are the Timberwolves going to get better on paper. We're not going to get a so No.
0: It's no, the best outcome is absolutely this
1: dude figures it out. Yeah, so like, <laughs> it's not even close. I want to be clear of that. But having said that. If you come to the conclusion with him that you we have come to with D'Angelo Russell, then yes, I would make these trades because we're not winning anyway. So I would at that point rather 100% pivot to an Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert team that we are now styling in the fashion of the Utah Jazz. Yeah. So let's get the first this one out of the way because this is the trade. Um, this is to me is unequivocally the trade and now let let me actually do the same thing I did um, with the Delo trade, finding the teams that would want to acquire him you 're trying to they 're trying to find two types of teams here, one of them is a team that already has their franchise player they don 't have a great path to acquiring the next guy next to him. Carl Towns for all of his flaws as the franchise player would be an excellent number two guy, especially outside of Minnesota where all of the baggage is now gone um and and he just needs to excel in that role there's plenty of teams that fit that description the other one okay. would be a team that is in the position that the wolves were in this past summer which is they would like to take a big step forward they have some a good young core and they would like to uh they would like to put the pedal to the metal and accelerate that timeline okay so there's two There's two types of teams here. The reason why this trade is the trade is we talked about it. The media talked about it. Um, If it doesn't work out with Kat and Rudy, you want to have the ability to take a mulligan on that and build the team around one center, that one center being Rudy, and get the type of assets back that we sent out in the Utah trade to get Rudy. So this is a very straightforward one. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks would desperately like to acquire Carl Anthony Towns there's no question about it um, and they have a lot of guys that are in that 10 to 20 million dollar range salary wise just like the Wolves were with Patrick Beverly Malik Beasley et cetera. so we you know there's negotiations there in terms of what players you get and how that impacts the type of picks you would get in addition to these guys. But the, the headline here, Dan is it's some combination of Dinwiddie Hardaway, Jr. Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney Smith and um, Reggie Bullock with the picks. So basically the net result for the Timberwolves here is that we swapped out cat for Rudy. And instead of having our own picks going forward, we have Dallas picks instead. So it is it is the Mulligan trade for, for the Rudy Gobert trade.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. It's the most obvious. Um, I would be, obviously, I'd be in support of a trade that brings back a lot of the pieces that Dallas has because I think you're at that point, again, if you're building around hypothetically an Anthony Edwards-Gobert pairing, uh, you're going to fill out the rest of the spots um, and you're going to have to,
1: yeah, and the problem is Dallas obviously wants those guys too. Yeah, of course. You know? and so, of course, um, it depends on how incentivized you are. You know, I like let, let me give you this example, Dan. If you insist on having Dorian Finney-Smith instead of Tim Hardaway Jr., how many less picks are you getting? How much more protected are those picks that you're getting? You know what I mean? And so that's where yeah. the negotiation comes into play, and it's not worth going into that here. But you know, it's a sliding scale. Uh, just like the Wolves. We know this. This was p- highly publicized. We didn't want to put Jaden McDaniels in the trade. We had to put two more picks in the trade. Okay. Well, if we insist on getting Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, obviously you'd go, oh, well, I'll take Finney-Smith, Bullock, and Kleba. <laughs> That's what I'd like to do. <laughs> is take those three guys. Well, you'd get a significantly less uh, a smaller pick haul if you did that than if you said, yeah, we're fine taking Hardaway Jr. Yeah.
0: No, I agree with that. And I'm curious as we go through this exercise because this is really Carl Anthony Towns would be the type of player that is really going to test. It's really going to test front offices in this league, to be honest. Um, Because in my mind, I'm curious to see the remaining teams that are on your list of potential trade spots for Carl. Because in my mind, and again, I'm not looking at a cap sheet, I'm not looking at anything, I'm just stating the types of teams that I think could bring themselves to pay a heavy price for Carl Anthony Towns. Dallas is a unique case because they're going to be so desperate to pair somebody that can be with Luca and try to make a run at it. So that is like the rare well-run organization with a superstar that I think fits the mold.
1: Yeah. And Luca is so excellent that Carl's additive in that situation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, yeah,
0: you see what he's doing with Christian fucking wood. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. but what I was going to say is the teams that come to mind that would be able to do a Carl Anthony Towns trade, given the reputation that he holds clearly amongst players and likely that's got to bleed into front offices and coaching staffs. It's like your wizards, your Kings, your Hornets,
1: those types of teams. Um, Yep. Those are tough teams to find. I'm going to be honest. None of those teams I have in here. Yeah. Which makes I sense. Desperately wanted to desperately wanted to, they just don't have. Exactly. Confidence.
0: That's what I'm saying is like, uh, those are the teams that you earmark. Cause you're like, they could convince themselves that Carl Anthony Towns makes them a 46 win. Six
1: you know, or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, anyway, continue. Yep. So you know this other trade too. You obviously had heard the Dallas one before. I've given you that one before. This is the last one that you've heard before. Before I give you the last two, okay. It's to Toronto for. There's three guys here. That you could combine. You need two of the three. It's Van Fleet, Trent, and OG. I I think if you're acquiring Cat sure. in your Toronto, Van Fleet is off the table. Um. And so I, you take Trent and OG, and then you talk about some picks. What those would be, and you know, I know when I propose this to you in person, you know, you were less hot on it from the Toronto standpoint, and I very much understand mm-hmm. that. But when you construct their lineup, this is where this is the ace up your sleeve to to win the arguments yes. The fact that they have no fucking center. <laughs> They have no center, but, Dan, li- listen to this lineup, man. If they would have Fred Van Vliet, some fifth starter, which they have plenty of guys, if they want to keep doing this this tall ball thing, by all means, start Scotty Barnes at the two and just start Precious Achua. You know what I mean? But a guy. Sure. And then you have a front court of Scotty Barnes, Pascal, and Carl Anthony Towns. Like, that foursome for next season, especially with – they're they're in the position the Wolves were in this year, where, where Scotty Barnes it would be going into his third year. So you're going to be like, well, Scotty Barnes is going to be an all-star this year. OG is, I mean, if he's playing the way he's played so far this year, he's coming off all NBA. Fred Van Vliet is always in that all-star-ish range. So you're basically, it's the same argument that the Wolves made in acquiring Rudy Gobert is... Who's beating these four guys? So
0: I want to I take a quick tangent before you get to your last two because I think this is important. Uh, for those people around me, you know, just in my orbit, friends here uh, around where I live in Lincoln, people that I work with that know I'm a Timberwolves fan, people that maybe don't pay close attention to the sport. It was a question I got asked a lot last year, which was, man, this Andrew Wiggins thing has got to be driving you crazy as a fan of the Timberwolves. And I explained it very simply. I was like, absolutely not. I'm thrilled for the guy, and I can promise you it was never happening in Minnesota, ever. Like, So, I mean, good for him. Found himself a good home, got himself a fresh start, and it worked tremendously well. Let me say this about Carl Anthony Towns. I was completely out on Andrew Wiggins before we traded him. And I'm completely out on Carl Anthony Towns now. But I am not naive. I understand that a big part of the problem is when you are tasked with, with saving a franchise, being the face of something, that never goes away. It never goes away. It, when you're in that jersey, that is your role. That is who you are. That is what, regardless of whether it's spoken, it is what's expected. Wherever Carl Anthony Towns goes next, he is not the face of that franchise. There is no baggage with that fan base in front office. There is no we drafted you number one overall. None of that shit exists. And so immediately, everything changes. It doesn't mean you change as a player. It just means everything, every variable around you dramatically changes when you just have a change of scenery. And so I want to say this now. A Carl Anthony Towns trade, it's not because I think he's a fucking bum, even though I I do believe he has bum-ish tendencies. It's because
1: I... It's not because I think
0: he's a bum. Yeah, although although I I do right now. Um
1: today yeah, today I today do. I do.
0: He's it's he's not a bum. It's just like it's not I firmly believe it's not going to work in Minnesota. I can't, I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you how you could what the alchemy is in fixing that, how you could possibly thread the needle to make it work here. But once you figure out that it's not, it's it benefits everybody to move the fuck on. So when I when I reacted the way I did to your Toronto trade when we were together and I said, How the fuck are we not the ones paying to get off Carolina towns to get OG? I get what you mean because I'm too close to it. And on top of that, it does fit miraculously well with what they've built. It is a need that they clearly have. And again, I think Carl Anthony Towns would be fucking great for them.
1: No, it'd be it would be No, I think they would be amazing. And and also they're gonna mean a salary crunch too. Like they're probably gonna have to make a trade like that anyway because yeah, sure. It's uh, G Trent and OG right now making in the high teens is fine. When their contracts come up, they're not going to be making in the high teens anymore. And no, they're so, not. So um, it's time to consolidate. And also, here's yeah. here's another thing where it's like, well, he doesn't seem like a Raptors player, Cat. I, I I disagree actually because what is what is their identity? It's their scramble, right? What is the only type of defense that Cat can excel in playing at? he has has to be in chaos
0: he has to be in chaos yep yep. and i'll say this andrew wiggins was definitively not a golden state warriors player until he was (laughs) so that's that's my argument with carl anthony towns i have no doubt he's going to go somewhere and be good i promise you it's not happening in this jersey it's just not i yeah anyway go ahead
1: um so here's one that is very surprising i think um i had i was really desperately trying to find one of these tanking teams that would want to take a step forward there's only a there's a couple of different classes here and we like to talk about it like this like there's teams that are in year which means that this is the year they're tearing it down to the studs in order to get their first lottery pick so that's utah and san antonio Obviously, San Antonio just picked in the lottery, but they don't have their franchise guy. They're in year zero. Um, and then uh, you have teams further along, like Detroit, for example, who is going to be the team to trade for Cat in this scenario, where they have already made two top five picks. And in this scenario, they will have just probably made a third. So they're going to have already have three top five picks on their team. that We know that they have a desire to improve they're the team if you're selecting from them the two teams i just said the thunder the rockets the magic to me do you agree with me that they would be the team of that group that would be most interested in taking a big step forward uh yeah yeah i do sure okay so this is a pretty straightforward one then um and whether or not we need picks is wholly dependent on how these guys perform this season. Sure. Um, but we trade Kat to Detroit for Boyan as the main salary. Uh, Beef Stew and Sadiq Bay. So this is more of a, we are reorienting a little bit more around Ant and Jaden, but still kind of threading the needle between being a really good team with with Rudy on it. Yeah. Uh, one fly in the ointment
0: here. I was going to say before you even proposed the trade, as soon as you mentioned that Detroit was the team, that culturally speaking, historically speaking, you cannot find a player whose personality and on-court performance more diametrically opposes the culture of the team he would be traded to.
1: Um. Sure, but he's going to Uh. (laughs) Cade's. All right, let's move on from this one. This one's clearly not a winner. No. We found a loser here. All right, here's another one, Dan. Okay. This team has an aging franchise star. They're pretty desperate, I would say, to have another go at it with this guy. Uh, We are trading him to the Blazers. Yes, I was hoping this team was going to come up. For a signed in signed and traded, so that makes it very complicated, (laughs) Assigned and traded Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, and again, once again, we talk about picks here, but basically Portland, you know, the obvious talent upgrade of getting Cat, but then having the belief that uh, we can replace Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart with Shaden Sharp and Nas Little. Fuck yeah, call it in the league. It, in July,
0: call Those it into dogs. the league.
1: I'd love to have some dogs. You know, talk about we're at a dog deficit right now. Those dudes are some dogs.
0: Well, so, and this is what's fascinating. Like, I'm glad that you, the last two trades had this element in it, which is, this is what I meant by testing front offices.
1: Are you willing to part with guys? Oh, every, every team will do this. Every time. Every, damn, they're taking the shiny object every time. 100 times out of 100. And it's not, it's often the wrong choice. But this is what they're going to do. Yeah, I, I would hold
0: off on being that certain of it. Carl Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns is such a unique star-level player in this league. Let me be completely honest. I can't think of a guy, well, definitely currently in the league. You and I have, have laughed at this for, for so long now, how little respect he garners from meaningful players in this league it's
1: players i don't think it's front office but i think players but
0: sure. what i'm saying rick is like it is so not a secret like it's so open the way that they talk about him the way that they treat him that i feel and again i agree with you somebody's trading for i'm not saying that he's going to be like fucking blackballed in a trade market
1: yeah, but they have dame this is the thing is and that's honestly some is a lesser point with cade because cade is 12 years younger or whatever but he has that same force of personality this is dame we're talking about here. You know what I mean? So it's like a talent like Carl Anthony Towns with the culture of a Damian Lillard team, not to mention it, look, this team let's not let's not fool ourselves in thinking this team can win a title. But this team could potentially be the greatest offense of all time if they have a lineup of Simons, Dame, Shaden Sharp. Uh I'm sure it's Nas Little. maybe it's somebody else in Carl Anthony Town.
0: Yeah, for sure. I and and I think this was a really good exercise because I think it 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 helps me to make my next point, which is part of the disappointment and I was talking to Sage about this as him and I were watching last night's game. I went into the second half we're down 20. It was like 23, I think. And I mentioned to him I said, "Well, the Timberwolves in the second half have a lot to prove because they need to fight. Like I don't expect that they I mean, they're not going to win this game, but they need to fight. They need to show up in the second half and they, you know, just they their pride needs to drive them in the second half. And one of the things that I was, I was kind of sitting there doing the math in my head. I'm like, all right, so you chip away, let's say 13 points in the, in the third quarter. Okay. What does that look like? What does the score need to be? How many points do we need to put up either way? When you're down 23 points, you have to score a fuck ton in the second half to come back. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, this offense just isn't good enough to do that like we've been watching them for 11 games. They're not good enough to do that, to go on that type of a run and score, you know, 76 points in the second half. Like they're just not good enough to do that. And what's really disconcerting is you and I have known long known that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell starting for you make your defense at best league average. Like if you fight and scratch and claw, you might be able to, yeah, exactly. Like, if you fight yeah, scratch and claw, year. you can overcome their deficiencies to get yourself to league average if everything breaks right. My frustration, man, is the reason this team is, is really shitty is this is the roster you construct if you plan to outscore a lot of teams. Like, and they can't. They can't do that. They can't outscore the teams that they need to, which are good teams. They can outscore Houston, to your point about them running up the score and being front runners against bad teams. But they can't do that against good teams last night, Jim Pete was beside himself in that second half, talking about you know D'Angelo Russell just can't break down the defense. he just can't get into the teeth of the defense and make these guys work and make it collapse and make them scramble and He was talking about how there's just absolutely zero penetration. We put no pressure on the defense and you can just hear through the tone that he's taking is it's a realization that. Oh, all the things that going into the season, you would have believed that we would have excelled at it either hasn't happened yet. Or unfortunately, we kind of all had it wrong. Like <laughs> the, the roster isn't constructed to do those things that we thought were going to be relatively easy to do. Um, but you, you mentioned that Carl Anthony towns goes to Portland and that can be the best offense. You're absolutely right. But it's reminiscent to what I said before the season started. Like,
1: no, it's not. It does, that's not a team. <laughs> <in all> <laughs> no, that is not the type of team we would like. That team is built in Gerson Rose. One hundred percent. Yeah, range. absolutely. Um, but no, this
0: is. What this has been a really, you know, it's a it's been a depressing week um, to be a fan of this team. And it, actually, no, depressing. No, uh, anger-inducing. Anger-inducing. It's not a depression. It's anger-inducing. Um. What I'm looking for going into this next stretch of games, and we do this at the end every episode, we have a three-game stretch this week that goes between Wednesday and Sunday. Phoenix, Memphis, Cleveland. Two of of which are on the road, one of which is nationally televised. Uh Uh-oh.
1: This this stretch of games
0: is weirdly meaningful um, for such an early point of the season. Because...
1: What's meaningful?
0: If they do not start to turn some things around and make some meaningful adjustments that can transition game to game and their effort level wanes like it has in the first 11 games, they are going to get absolutely pounded into submission for the next five days. These three teams are really, really high level basketball teams. <laughs> like, these teams will crush your spirit even if you're a competitive team yes they are so if we show up
1: yeah dan does 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 us picking cleveland to be at the top of the east does that balance out picking the wolves to be depends on how bad the wolf season goes (laughs) but for but for now yes absolutely we were on cleveland we're we're on we're even steven right now yes
0: we're even steven we're one of two um but no i think you know the NBA, and, and I've mentioned this to you off the episode, like, basketball is a weird karmic sport, and, and you've experienced this just as I have playing in fucking rec pickup games. If you do something stupid, it is amazing how the other team immediately cashes in on your mistake. Like, it is, it is almost destined to be true, if you believe in, in kind of spiritual shit, where it's like, if you go up and you jack up a terrible three, and a long rebound goes to your opponent, they're fucking making the next shot. Whatever it is, they're making that shot. The same thing is true broadly over the course of a season. If you have this little respect for the type of effort needed to win basketball games, your schedule should do this to you. (laughs) Like, where all of a sudden, you play like dog shit at home, and you had three games in a row at home, and now you play three unbelievably strong opponents, two of which are going to be on the road in a three-day period. So, this is... We're probably going to record. I mean, we'll probably hold off and we'll do Monday because the Sunday game is a little early. It's a five PM start in Cleveland on Sunday. We'll probably do a Monday recording uh, unless something crazy happens in one of these games. But I am very curious to see if if your and I's tone has changed at all on Monday of next week.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It should be should be fun to watch. Um... <laughs> is
0: that tongue? Is that tongue in cheek? <laughs> no.
1: I mean, I'm gonna watch them. of course, I'm, I'm watching now. every one of them. <laughs> I was one of the last people to leave the target center last night um Good on yeah you. man, this was very fun. it's cathartic. It's good to talk through these trade scenarios. I hope our listeners uh you know find the same catharsis here and hearing these scenarios um and you know, I'm still holding some stock in this team um I'm a big believer in Rudy and uh and Anthony Edwards and chris Finch's. Ability to adjust, I expect the team to make some pretty significant adjustments here in this week. Um, And uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I really, really, really cannot emphasize enough how much I hope we're not having the exact same conversation. Like, I think you and I are pretty clear-eyed about the fact that they may lose all three of these games. Like, let's just please not lose them the same way that we've lost all these other games. Like, let it be different. Yep. Fight and effort, man. Need to see it. Gotta see it this
0: week. Um,